0: hey everyone how's it going welcome back to butt wide of the podcast today i'm sitting down virtually with justin lore who is an alumnus of smu Guildhall, hall where he was a level designer and currently he works at gearbox software hey happy to be here good it's it's glad to be here um i uh, justin and and i met at op live uh, a couple weekends back and he was just so fun to talk to that I really wanted to bring him on to talk about all the great things that SMU Guildhall does, and really just all the really behind the scenes stuff. May basically, this is just a whole interview for me to hear about game development with the added plus of our listeners getting to hear about it too. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, uh, Justin is here to talk about you know SMU Guildhall and kind of like the gaming industry in general. He's not here to give us the deep, dark secrets of Gearbox Software, unfortunately. Oh, I um, wish you could. It's okay. It, it's funny. I was um, just recently, I, I played rugby at UT Austin, and one of um, my good friends and teammates, former teammates from there, actually just started at Gearbox Software after he graduated. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? Remember that time that we, like, bled together? And he was like, nope, still can't tell you. I was like, oh, okay. All right, fine. So I tight-lipped. It's all it's all good. we yeah, we got lots of people from
1: Austin and from that area. lots of yeah. Texas local people over at Gearbox.
0: Yeah, he's he's really enjoying it. So you guys must treat your people really well over there. I think so. Yeah. So we'll we'll just start. So some of our listeners and some of our people who who read some of our blogs might have heard um, lots of stuff about Op Live and a little bit about SMU Guildhall from a couple pieces that one of our hosts Matt came out uh, Matt put out. But for those of us who or for those of our listeners who haven't uh, heard too much about SMU Guild Hall so like what can you tell us about it like what was your experience there what is SMU Guild Hall and things like that
1: Yeah of course so SMU Guild Hall is a 2-year accelerated graduate program for game development right so you have uh, we have four tracks at SMU Guild Hall you can study level design software development art creation or production uh, and all those tracks are very separated except for uh, very specific points that probably I'll get to in a little bit. Um, but the first thing you got to talk about with, because it was a graduate school, right? We got to talk about the faculty and the faculty is some of the best you're going to find in the game industry that decided to take a break from game design to go into teaching or, or divert, uh, divert their uh, careers towards education. So we have a uh, faculty that worked on Halo that worked on Wolfenstein, Counter-Strike, uh, Age of Empires, Doom, Borderlands, uh, Dishonored, uh, a whole bunch of others, uh, just like going back, I think all together, it's, it's like 200, 300 years of collective game industry knowledge in that building, uh, teaching the next generation. That's the idea uh, for Gildhall. Guildhall. Uh, they market it as a teaching hospital uh, type scenario. So you're working with experts to learn how to do the craft. It's much less like uh, what you might be doing in undergrad, right? Where you're studying uh, an academic topic from a distance and you're you're learning all you can about the history and, uh, and the ideas behind it, like that's all there too. Uh, but as to Gilhall, go it's very much a uh, teaching school, it's, it's a school of practice, it's like, a, it's like more of like a craft school, than a, or a trade school, than uh, than what you might be doing in undergrad or something more, like purely academic, it's engineered to get people into the game industry and into AAA companies as quickly as possible. Uh, and to do that, like we've had alumni at basically every major game company you can think of right so uh just from my cohort that graduated back in may so now was that six uh, months ago five six months ago uh we have folks that are at NIDOG. um we got the guy is a crystal dynamics that i worked with a lot that i love that guy um obviously we got folks at uh gearbox software actually quite a few people at gearbox software came out of Guildhall. um we have alumni at sony san monica we have alumni at Blizzard and Riot and Treyarch and Bungie, Bethesda, Insomniac, like pretty basically any game company you can think of with maybe a couple exceptions now. But like we have Gil alumni all over the industry. Uh, and I like to help people that's the fastest and most reliable way to get your start in a career in game development, wherever your specialization will be.
0: Awesome. Um, so graduate program, really, really great. The number one. Graduate program in that's the world, right. correct? Two years running.
1: Uh, we were also the first uh, of our kind, so it was the first graduate program for game development in America. Period.
0: Yeah, that's that's really really awesome. So, like, what was your your experience like there um, as a student? So, obviously, three hundred years of you know collective gaming experience, like in the faculty, that must have been like amazing to go through. Being able to like specialize in game design, what was that experience like?
1: It was incredible. Obviously, like obviously, I am only going to say good things about Kilt Hall. I owe my career to guildhall and the people that were guildhall you know got me where i am today and i have endless thanks and appreciation that i owe them but but talking about sort of my experience through SMU guildhall uh what i like the most about it was all of the uh one-on-one attention you'll get with faculty uh to craft your specific portfolio so big part that i expect i'm gonna say a bunch of times during this interview right is uh specialization 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 and finding your specific thing you want to do in the industry and as long as you have like a very concrete goal in mind, Bouty will get you there. So for the I don't know brief period of time, might have been two months uh, while I was at Guildhall, I said I want to be a system designer. So I wanted to do all the really hardcore like Excel spreadsheets and like tweaking the numbers under the hood and like I uh, think of, like systems for for like a gun. Right? You think like well, how much recoil is this gun have? How much damage? How much uh, rate of fire? Things like that. And I got so into systems for like this little period of time. I got really jazzed up about this one assignment we had and I was like, this is it. This is giving me my whole career. I'm going to do systems. And I got uh, a ton of support from faculty, a bunch of like individualized assignments specifically for what I wanted to do to get me into a system design role as quickly as possible. And when I had a question that I could look to faculty and they're like, well, we don't know the answer because we weren't a system designer in this specific way, or we can't answer your question specifically. We can pull directly from our alumni. So I remember one meeting in particular I had, I'm sitting down and I was like, well, like, this is great and all that I'm doing my individualized work and I'm making my own system like in a vacuum, but I'm running into these issues and I don't know how the work that I'm doing would work in a AAA environment where I want to get an actual job and do this for a living. It's cool doing this in my basement and like having fun, but how do I turn this into an actual career? And my faculty uh, advisor at the time said, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but... Let me send a linkedin message right now or an email right to uh an alumni from six years ago who's working at bethesda as a systems designer and you can ask them all the questions you want right and the alumni network is so critical to to the guildhall experience right so when uh i was at guildhall i didn't really appreciate the level that the alumni program would actually have with me in my career but as soon as i left guildhall or like near the end um, I started going to a lot of these networking events. I started meeting people at other companies, um, and I introduced myself as like, "Oh yeah, I went to Guildhall." I was like, "Oh yeah, so did I. I was part of cohort two back 13 years ago, right?" And uh, we have, and I, I encounter that all the time. I haven't been to a single gaming like meetup or, or a serious event um, where I didn't run into another person who was either at Guildhall for a time or they work really close to the people that work at Guildhall. It just has such a prominent uh, influence on the industry.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, what what's like the cohort cohort size like? If they're able to offer like that kind of individualized attention to kind of get you to the right people in a short amount of time.
1: So that's where uh, my information is probably not going to be the best information. This is actually go, goes into something that I really love about Guildhall is that the curriculum in the school is always changing. So before uh, my cohort, they used to have. Uh, was like, like rolling admission. So they would have a spring cohort and a fall cohort. And then starting with, I think the cohort just before mine or, or with mine, uh, they started just blending them into one cohort. So they used to be cohorts of anywhere between like 17 and 30. Uh, so pretty small. Uh, and then with my cohort, we just ballooned up to, I think it was 60. And then we had a few drops. So we came down to like around 50, 52 through most of the program. And then the cohort after us was 60, 60 students. And again, from these four different disciplines. So each discipline will probably have like 15 to 20 people in it or or there around. But honestly, it could change. It could go back down to 30 and they can only accept 30 a year, or it could balloon up to 70 or or what have it. They they're always building uh the best program uh rapidly in the same way they do game design. So uh they talk a lot about how they take their uh, what they learned in the game industry and what they learned to make games. And they say, okay, how do we take those lessons and turn that into how do we teach games with this, these same sort of models that we've been practicing for 30 years? And so no two cohorts are gonna have the same experience. So the size will be different. Uh, what kind of projects you'll be doing may be different. And the entire time it's an iterative cycle. So they learn uh, what worked really well, what went a little poorly, or what could have gone better uh, with the previous cohort. They listen to our feedback and it's collaborative, right? So. Already, with this next cohort uh, that came just after mine, uh, I can see the direct impact of advice that I gave as an individual or I know that my friends gave, and they're directly putting that those words into action every day at Guildhall. they're always uh, trying to find ways to add on to the program like that
0: yeah, that's really, really awesome. It sounds like they're you know, they're not satisfied with getting you know Justin into. Uh, you know, his job at Gearbox, but they want to go further than that and get more and more people into where they want to be, which I think is really, really cool.
1: Right. And, and just because uh, also like this have to
0: right the way yeah.
1: uh, you keep up with the game industry as fast and as fluid as it is. If you stay too stay still for, you know, like six months or something, then you're already six months behind the next guy. And that's very much feeds into the sort of uh, competitive and highly innovative aspect of uh, of the industry.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it seems like you guys are, it seems like SMU Guildhall is, is doing more than that. So we we met at OP Live, which was the convention that um, our whole Put though, team was at. And you seem like OP Live and SMU Guildhall had a really big partnership in their first, in OP Live's first year. Can you talk about that relationship as well? I know that you weren't, you know, like heading, you know, that, but you, you were the one that we met when we went, and you seemed like you were. Running the show from what we thought. So can you talk about that relationship with OP Live at all?
1: Uh, sure. So I wasn't uh, part of the core uh, organizing team, but I I was a volunteer. I know that a lot of the uh, volunteers were SMU Guildhall students or alumni. And uh, I was one of the volunteers that was working the SMU Guildhall booth showing off a lot of our capstone games. And that's where uh, we met you. And uh, the relationship I I'm not entirely sure on on the details and I could drag you some people that would help answer that a little better but uh i just know that we were there from the very beginning sort of trying to get the the ball rolling on uh you know like organizing the event and bringing uh, a full like triple a esports event to the dallas area
0: yeah i mean i I personally enjoyed all of the the parent outreach sessions that smu guilt all put on personally so um basically what they did was they put on events mostly for parents it seemed like to kind of help them understand like their kids fascination and passion with video games and like how to foster that passion for video games um can you talk to them a little bit about how those ran and the kind of success you guys had because they had lots of people at them every time i i turned around
1: uh if i'm being totally honest i wasn't really that wasn't part of my purview for the event i spent my entire time down with uh the guild hall booth but from what i know about it i know there were a couple other events talking about uh, like Guildhall as, a, as an organization and I was able to direct some parents towards that and like how to find your way into the game industry and then how going to Guildhall sort of uh, helps someone in, in industry. But I don't know specifically about like turnout or uh, like how those the, that section of the event went.
0: Okay, so you were doing the uh, Capstone, Capstone game projects. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something that we were super interested in we even sat down and played your game that made me scream like a girl in uh the middle of the day uh, legitimately like i wasn't faking that I, I actually did scream um coming out of one of those doorways appreciate
1: that uh so yeah so capstone games are uh the third in what uh Gil hall sets up as its uh team game uh production classes or team game projects and we'll just call them tgps uh is the word that we use uh in the school and uh, this is probably the one thing that sets Skill Hall apart from other programs uh, in the way they handle uh, working as a team in game production. So, like I was saying earlier, you get uh, all the one on one attention with faculty to build your own specific portfolio. And, like, say for me, I'm starting to be a designer. Uh, I'm working with faculty to become the best designer that I possibly can within that one track. But you can't make a game with just designers, right? You're also going to need all these other disciplines, again, of Uh, software development being programming uh, art creation and and production as well so uh, what gilhall does they focus on uh, the cross-disciplinary aspect of uh, making games across these specializations so you get the best possible designers you can possibly get the best possible programmers the best possible artists best possible producers and then the tgps give them an opportunity to uh, use those skills in tandem with one another to make games Right? and that's the core that's, that's the only way you can learn how to make games at the end of the day is making games just from scratch uh and guild hall sets it up so that uh, none of us are really generalists we're not expected to know everything i can't code as well as a programmer can but i'm not gonna be expected to in a job so that's not really uh, a priority right but I, as long as i know how to design incredibly well then no one else needs to know how to design well we can keep those divisions of labor uh crystal clear so uh the capstone project then is the the natural evolution that comes at the end. It's the most advanced of these TGPs. The uh first pro, uh first project that uh hall students will do is they'll work in a small uh four-person team. So that's basically just like one designer, maybe two designers, uh, because designers can be a little bit larger. Um, one programmer, one artist, and maybe a producer. Uh, and you just have eight weeks and you have to make a game from scratch to triple a production quality right and you go as as you do as well as you can right with with what you got uh and that gives some insight into what it's like being an indie developer so what they're telling you through these uh tgp uh processes is you're speaking directly to investors which is your faculty and they set up this whole simulation where uh you're talking with faculty to Uh, decide on what your game is saying your milestones how you're going to market the game you need to think uh, from a 360 perspective view how this game is going to go to market and how it's going to do well and then how are you as a team going to meet all those deliverables under time pressure right and that's just very much just that's just what game development is uh, in a nutshell is finding out what kind of game is going to do well how to make that kind of game in concrete steps uh, under time pressure and delivering right execution The first TGP is going to be just a small four person team. Uh, The following TGP, again, like I said, is always this program's always developing and and growing. Uh, My cohort was the first one that had uh, the second TGP be our entire cohort. It used to just be goes from a small group to like a medium group to a large group. And they're like, all right, you gotta have this the smallest group possible. Now we're just gonna balloon you up into this massive group. So we had 52 something people. Working on one game all at one time, I'm actually wearing the shirt from that project at the end zillium nice. we made a uh four a four man team first person shooter uh capture the flag game, and uh man, that was probably the hardest project I've ever worked on, like working with, at that scale of people uh and we're all still junior uh developers each of us so that was and I think that entire project was under four months or so, maybe five months uh and then after that, you start gaining your capstone project, and that comes near the end of your time at Guildhall. When you've built up your portfolio, uh, everyone is pretty confident in their skills at that point, and they take all the rails off and say, you can do whatever you want. We're not going to like hold your hand through this process like we have in the past. Uh, we're going to let you like fly or sink as, as much as you need to to take away some really solid lessons that people would learn in an actual game studio.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds very um, intensive and in-depth. And it sounds like it really helped a lot in that experience and having played a bunch of the games that were there uh they were they were good i really i really did enjoy them and they, they are available for people to play correct
1: yeah yeah you can download uh i'm not sure how far back they go i know some of them again this program has been around for what is it 15 years or so now so some of these games are gonna be a little old to, to pick up <laughs> on your laptop now but uh yeah all all these Capstone games are available to download on guildhall on guildhall's website uh mine was lost in the dark this is the horror game uh other games from my core specifically we also had up in the air which is a balloon physics game sort of like an open world sandbox thing uh, i remember and if my friends listen to this, she'll she'll remember this uh story we laugh out now uh, we were going through these initial pitches because we had i think it was 12 or 15 different pitches for games for our capstone games and we basically pitch out to our core and say okay these are some ideas for games do you want to work on this project and that's how we whirled it down to the three projects we had and I remember seeing this uh, project and, you know, like not every idea is going to be great or something. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, OK, uh, well, I feel like pretty confident in my idea, which got cut immediately. But I look at this. And I'm like, all right, well, if there's any one game that's not going to make it to uh, to the end, it's probably going to be this this balloon game. This this does not great. Um, and uh, I was having a conversation with my friend who worked on that team. And I said, yeah, well, was a good prototype, but probably not i not going to make it all the way to, to capstone quality or something. And, uh, she didn't like that. <laughs> uh, that was, that was kind of rude to me. Um, but I, uh, I said, look, you know, like you're welcome to prove me wrong. I'd be super happy if you prove me wrong. I, I want your game to be a success. I just don't think it's there yet. And she, uh, yeah, she proved me wrong. She proved me wrong a lot. They actually went, uh, they were obviously, I think by like every metric, they were the most successful capstone game of our group um of these three projects and they uh they went on to uh submit their uh project for the intel showcase at oh nice uh, yeah at gdc and they they won second place for best gameplay in the country wow any game like it right or any game at at the collegiate level and they just had like overwhelming success i know they they've changed to several other conventions stuff and it's just a Really fucking adorable. Can I say fuck? It's yeah, sorry, super, don't worry about it is a super adorable <laughs> game. I fucking love that game. Yeah, uh, it's fun. That's, if you like
0: yeah. if you like being a balloon animal and like throwing kids in jail, basically, that's that's the game for you. There's
1: so much you can do. You can catapult <laughs> yourself, you can joust, you can uh like like butt jump and like if you if you dash, all the dashes make a song. There's all these like little Easter eggs and like cute things you can do in this game. Uh I wouldn't Go back and like play any of the games that I've made, like for real, right? Like playing it like for fun. Uh, except for this game, this is a game that I absolutely have gone back since we graduated and just played because I want to play a fun game.
0: Awesome, and we'll definitely link um, uh, all these games, that game, and Justin's uh, Alone in the Dark game as well. In addition to all the other games in the show notes, so people can go through and uh, hear see what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, they're so, actually fun.
0: Yeah, no, they're fun. Like we, not I'm a
1: shill, right? I really yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no. Uh, me, my wife, and I, Stefani, we went and played for like an hour um, on, on day two when we had a little bit more time to kind of sit around and play. So we we definitely put some some time into that. This spec- was me specifically with balloon animals and um, jumping and playing golf. Basically, is what I did for like an hour and a half. <laughs> um, so moving on a little bit from Guildhall. So what got you into the gaming industry in general? Is that something that you knew that you wanted to do? Did you pick it up, you know, just in your grad program? Or was it something that you knew that you wanted to be this guy?
1: So I knew that I wanted to do games for a while, but I, I, I bounced around personally between a bunch of different career paths before I settled on games. Uh, at one point, I wanted to be a scientist. At a different time, I wanted to be a cop, Again, so into politics. I did a lot of nonprofit work for a while, uh, and I just have this wide varied background before I got into games. But once I got to uh, my second undergrad, right, and I started taking some classes on uh, like game academia, and I took like composition class about how to write games, uh, and things like that that my college offered. Uh, you know, I fell in love with it, obviously, like I've been in love with games since I was a kid. But uh, I always had the idea that games just sort of fall out of the sky. And they're just sort of like, Endowed to us, but they don't really come from anywhere because no one, no people can yeah. make game. It's it's too perfect, right? Like a uh, thing to like, your solid graphics. like how could any people make this, right? And then uh when I was like twenty, twenty-two or something, I was like, you know, actually, like people do make this. Like this is like people's jobs. They wake up in the morning and they go to work, and their work is video games, and they go home, right? And like, and they get a paycheck. They get paid for it, and it's like. I think around that time, I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out whatever it takes. I'm going to figure out what it takes to get to there, to a point where I cash a check for making a video game. Uh, and, and I was just sort of downhill from that. Uh, the more I looked into it, like the more I fell in love with the games. Uh, so again, like I said, I came sort of from this like game academia uh, perspective and more presented on like, game history. was sort of my background. Uh, I started writing uh, choose your own adventure games uh, using a tool called Twine, which is free and everyone can use it uh where it's you like write like a text-based passage and then like you can create links like a Goosebumps novel right or any other choose your adventure and it takes almost no time to learn uh and I just started making my own sort of like branching narratives like that and that was my real game like experience before coming to Guildhall um but the more I studied games the more that I looked into it, I just fell in love because it's the hardest thing in the world that you can do probably uh the amount of attention to detail and amount of technical knowledge and under time pressure and working with people that are completely different from you that see the world a completely different way than you like programmers and artists in the same rooms being totally different languages right uh and especially a designer where i'm sort of in the middle of those two and like getting those two to like blend together to actually make the game product
0: yeah um, then then you have all of the stuff that happens after with all the people uh, you know, who play the game and don't realize that actual people went into making this and then just want to, you know, complain on social media.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some people complain, but also like you're at the end of the day, like you're making something that's going to, uh, you know, have a tremendous, like any one developer can have this huge, tremendous impact on the entire industry or even just on one person uh, and getting a talk with people that even just talking with you, right. About uh, a game that I made that you played and, and, you really enjoyed it. And like that, that makes oh, yeah. it worth it, man. Like it's really unlike anything else I've ever done. Uh, but as soon as I, you know, figured that there's this whole industry where I can challenge myself to do things that I've never been done before. Uh, something that's constantly new and innovative that I'm working with people that all want to change the world in some like little ways. Like there's that always that like part of yourself that wants to change the world. If the people that can't stamp that out, make games eventually. Right. I think.
0: And uh, one. Yeah. Way.
1: Right. And like, that's what I want to do with my life. And so I just set myself on that path and uh, enforced it, basically.
0: No, that's that's really good. I, um, I, re- I really admire the, the last part of, um, you know, a little part of you does want to change the world. And kind of one of the biggest reasons we even have this podcast is because we know how much... Um, pop culture video games and movies and things like that really do touch and affect people so hearing it from a game developer really puts into perspective when we do do our video game episodes and when you do talk about like all of those intricate memories um, dating back to like when things were still blocks um, it's, it's really powerful so thank you for all that you're doing at Gearbox and I can't wait to see um, so, so in, in that same vein, uh, pull back the curtain, spill, spill some tea for us, Justin, like what are some of the things in the gaming industry that you think our listeners should know? Are there any like common misconceptions about the gaming industry that you want to debunk for us?
1: Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I don't really have any soapboxes to stand on at the moment. Um, trying to think, I, I will say though, is that, uh, and this might be not totally answering your question, but, uh, coming from someone who just was a casual gamer at first, like just a game fan. I consider myself a game fan, like before I'm a game developer, even today. But uh, coming from being a fan to being like an academic or someone that I have spent my life focused on games, but I didn't develop games, I didn't know game developers, and I wasn't like embedded in the same way that I am now um, with the game industry. uh, The closer I got to game development, the more complicated everything got right so again like anything i say here has nothing to do with with gearbox or any of our practices but um i, don't know, I think that people give uh give the game industry a hard time on monetization so, so i was listening to a youtube video today about um like this uh this conflict between like well games cost so much and like shouldn't games come out and they're like super polished and like super perfect And then you don't need to buy like microtransactions, you don't need to buy DLC or anything. And then if you have DLC, then you're selling an incomplete game. And that just has no bearing on the game industry really. Uh, And ultimately like how you monetize any project, games or movies or anything, any uh, system of that scale where you have hundreds or thousands of people working on one project and you're selling a box, right? You're selling a product. how you monetize it, that's something that I don't think the industry has settled on an answer for that. Yet. I think that what well, we've, if you take the last 10 years in perspective, right, and the idea of adding online stores or adding live games, like these things that are still super new. I mean, you think 10 years ago, uh, like Iron Man 1 had just come out before we had like serious online, like PlayStation stores, right, or like around that same time as when PlayStation stores started getting really big. And think how like short of a time that is really right. Like I can concretely remember like times when you couldn't download a patch for a game. Right. And so like all these things that consumers might see as like a natural progression really totally changed the industry. Every time there's something new that's added like this, like a new platform or something like if we had something that was like steam 2, Like there's a new version of steam that came out that would completely change how all games are monetized. That would change how, we make our money that's changed how games are made on a fundamental level across the board so any of these like small things, like think like a new console generation that completely like throws any like game development plan out the window let's say like you're working on this old software and you need to upgrade new software you you could be throwing out like four years of precedented work and having to start from scratch um i think uh someone like a director or developer on uh Witcher 3 came out and said that uh every game is like reinventing the wheel uh, but reinventing the wheel every single time makes it a better game uh and how that applies to monetization how that applies to game mechanics how that like applies to like gaming trends like every single game like it really does feel like you're reinventing the same things but at the same time deciding well what direction is our game going to go in for the future and then that's also has bearings on like, well, what direction do we want for our company in the future? What direction do we want to have on the game industry? Or what do players want us to do? There's all these endless considerations that uh, are, these decisions are just a lot bigger than I think players realize.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely see that for sure um, in, in, in a lot of what you said. I think I think you're putting a perspective of Iron Man really works because we've are we covered um, lots of Iron Man, lots of MCU in uh, our podcast so like that timeline is basically like integral to like a lot of the stuff we talk about but like thinking about 10 years ago where we were in terms of microtransactions not even being a thing dlc really not being a thing unless like you're playing like mmos and stuff mm-hmm. um really puts into perspective like how much the gaming industry has to play like catch up and then like not only catch up but like trying to get ahead of curves mainly because of new console generations and you know new pc software things like that so it really does put that into uh, a different light, especially with all the DLC that's coming out these days. Um, Yeah, DLCs and then like the exclusive rights and things like that. It's something that I
1: is and whatever.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something that I struggle with, like as a gamer who like refuses to buy a PlayStation to play games. Like it's yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's kind of why i stuck and i think we don't give enough time for like developers to like fix things based on the reactions like people pick it up like oh it's garbage to put it down don't listen to any like the reactions it's one of the big reasons why i think battlefront 2 and specifically the newer battlefront 2 um got better over time despite all of the controversy that they had because they did change a lot of the things that players weren't happy with um or maybe that was always the plan to change it i don't know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, the Oz behind the curtain there, but,
1: um, the same thing about like no man's sky, right? Like yeah. most of that game's development came out after release.
0: Yeah. I think we just gotta be a little bit more patient and give uh, people like Justin some, some time to fix some things. It, let's, so I'm, I'm a teacher. We, we talked a little bit about this when we were, we were in Dallas. So what advice would you give to young people who might be listening or parents who have young people who wants to get into video games and even for that matter like if there's someone who's like me 24 25 and wants to get into the gaming industry in the in the way that you are is it too late uh can you start too early things like that what, what what would be your advice there so i'll
1: say that it's never too late and it's definitely never too early right so going through the Guildhall program just as as one thin slice example uh, my two years there i knew people there that were I think 20 years old was the was the youngest. And then and it is for a graduate program for games, So it's not just like all games, but like. Uh, I think there was one guy, I know there's a guy at least 30. Uh, I think our guy was like in his like late 30s, maybe early 40s. Uh, by the time he actually came to Guildhall uh, for that part of his career. So it's never definitely never too late. Um, but al- also, like, really, it's never too early. Like, if you want to make games, just start making games right now is the best advice i can give you the second best advice i can give you is uh go to guild hall if you want to make games if you want to make triple a games if you want to be in the game industry uh the fastest and most reliable way to get you there no matter what you want to do in the game industry is through guild hall's program um but also there's so many free uh free tools available for you to make games now so you can go to like unreal academy uh if your computer can run unreal engine which most can uh, and you can learn uh, what a lot, it's basically the the industry standard for AAA game development is Unreal Engine. And they have all of these uh, tools available that you can teach yourself how to make pretty much anything in games. Uh, there's this huge push in the game industry to uh, educate this new generation of people coming in, uh, myself included. I was part of that next generation coming in. So uh, using these same tools, I think anyone could pick up and find their way into the game industry. If they're willing to put in the time and the effort into making prototypes making games uh just trying to build portfolio from scratch and just being a self-starter about that
0: yeah that's really great information um and i would love you know after we're done to get some of those resources so we can put those in the show notes and get people who, who are interested in getting those free resources them right away so they can start to get going i remember um when i was younger my uncle got me like 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 a mud for dummies and like, mm-hmm. here, go learn this. Uh, so there's still definitely lots of really great stuff out there. And I would definitely recommend that to me, Guildhall. If I can go back and do it again, I'd go to Guildhall. And uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and it could be anything. So it doesn't even need to be. I, I should say, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. There's no one surefire way to get into games. If you ask 100 game developers how you got into games, they'll give you 100 different stories, right? Uh, like I said earlier, I got started with. Uh, choose your adventure games very similar like pen and paper rpgs if you dungeon master you'll be a really good game developer uh that's something i found like universally anyone that i've met in games who has at any time been a dungeon master for D &D has been a better game designer for it uh
0: yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh we just got off of recording an episode about critical role and matthew mercer being just like an amazing dungeon master and how we would love for them for him to like create a game based around that because of how expansive his world is so i, I really like that piece of advice and, and tie-in so thank you for that
1: yeah it builds on uh, very similar skill sets absolutely and then it's just a matter of technical expertise getting you from dungeon master to game designer right it's just learning how to use the computer in between
0: gotcha yeah so in that same um, vein of kind of game industry uh, in our But Widow community, we have a host of writers, many of which who do game reviews and things like that. Um, and they go to conventions and they review games. Um, our our host Kate is is one of the bigger the biggest ones. Who she, she loves doing like the indie games, AAA games, whatever it is. She loves writing reviews about it. Um, and so some some of our other writers. Do you have any insight from the, the developer side of what companies want to see from writers or reviewers that can kind of um, help people who already write or are looking to get into game writing? um, Kind of like getting their putting their best foot forward into that.
1: Hmm. So I'll say first by saying that uh, I'm not a writer, Uh, I do work with writers. um, But I'm probably not the best source for uh, for what a writing staff looks like or what studios hiring writers what they're looking for for their writers room but I can say some skills that uh, some of the writers that I work with um, or writers that I've known uh, through my time in the game industry, what kinds of skills they would really need to build on. And I think the, cause I, I used to write, um, again, writing text-based games is, is kind of similar. And I sort of built on those same skill sets, I guess. Um, writing for a player and knowing what information to give the player at what time and for what purpose, I guess it's kind of hard to say all this stuff in abstract um I'll, I'll put it in context of something that i've actually did so i i did uh a choose your own adventure game called good governor uh in Twine, right and so it was like a a branching narrative type thing an idea was the player makes choices and that's the the central gameplay thing they choose uh, which bills in this government to pass and which bills to fail and uh as i started writing that i started getting uh, what was it? like, uh, I started writing for myself <laughs> is, is this the best way to put it like I, I would write things that I thought were like very relevant to just like learning out the backstory and the lore and the and the world this all taking place in and consequences of actions in these really detailed ways uh, that didn't really directly correspond with what the player was actually doing. And so something I had to discover while I was making this project was I'd write this big long I think five paragraphs of prose, like here's this big, long decision you need to make and here's all the possible implications, whatever. And what players would do, they would play that and tell me, I, I just get overwhelmed. I don't know what to do with all this information. I don't know what's relevant. I don't know what's important. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to get me to think about. I don't know what um, what I'm supposed to feel. I don't know what I need to take with me when I make this decision and what possible outcomes to anticipate from it later. Um, basically, I was just a bad writer, Right. But uh, so my, my solution to that was I boiled all that down into uh, bullet points about like, okay, here's the important thing you need to know about this block of text. Here's the important thing you need to know about this block of text. And here's uh, like one big summary of, of the whole thing. And uh, basically pointing out which information was relevant, which is, was important, was really important for the player to uh, direct their focus towards what they're going to be doing uh, in the game and why they are going to be doing that way and help facilitate their play experience so the idea of writing for a player writing for relevant information when the player needs it uh, to make actions right so if you have any experience writing interactive fiction this is where like dungeon mastering uh really comes into play because that's basically writing for games uh in a lot of ways is uh like finding what's going to be the most fun experience for the player but then also what information they're going to need to make educated uh, choices within that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense, and I hope it's um, helpful for for our listeners because I know so many of them um, give us pieces and kind of some of them want to break into the gaming industry in that aspect um, and maybe not so much like the technical aspect of it. So that helps a lot. So we're 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 running towards the end here, Justin. So I just want to ask you some few. Um, personal questions that I didn't get to ask you when we were we Dallas. So there there are a bunch of game launches coming up this month and into November. Uh, what are you most excited about? Uh, do, uh, do you do game DMs, do devs even get to play games anymore? You're have, having the time, I
1: time for it. I make time for it. So something that I can say about gearbox uh, is that gearbox really values. Um, if you're going to make games, uh, you need to play games, you need to understand games. And so we have an hour each day. Uh, at the end of the day that's carved out the entire uh company can say all right i'm gonna not work for this one hour i'm gonna play a game we call it game time and uh you're allowed to just stop everything you're doing and just play a game from five to six and uh, that is part of your work you're paid for it uh, because it is research for how you're going to make your games better so if you're let's say a ui programmer looking at other games and how they do ui is going to really help and inform your decisions in your job on a day to day basis. So that's one way that Gearbox approaches it. And other companies have you know, other ways they facilitate that. But something that is really common in the game industry is these programs that try to get uh, their developers in front of games as much as possible uh, so that they can learn from each other and have this forward momentum as an industry, right? That's something that we're all very conscious of. And of course, we're going to play games, whether or not our company wants <laughs> us to. Right? That's just who we are. Uh, we got into this industry because we love games. Uh, so I, I try to play games as much as I can. Uh, let's see. So my number one game for the year was Spider-Man. I knew, uh, going in. Spider-Man is my most big game for 2018, hands down. I absolutely loved it. I'm really excited for the DLC coming out in a few weeks, but for the games that are coming out in the next few months, I know, uh, just before we went on just now, I was watching that new gameplay trailer for, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 coming up in a couple weeks and like that looks incredible like the fact that uh they learned their lessons people really like that first person mode in uh GTA 5 on uh on the remaster I guess on the on the PS4 and stuff um so that just looks incredible I I didn't really care for first person GTA 5 but uh for Red Dead Redemption 2 I think I might be playing the entire thing first person it looks really cool
0: Oh, man, uh, I, I haven't I haven't seen it yet, but I'm very, very excited for Red Dead Redemption. out
1: today. I don't,
0: I don't blame Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it, and you talking about it makes me even more excited about it. I'm a big Red Dead Redemption fan. Red Dead Revolver was one of my most played games back on, like, the original Xbox, so uh, Red Dead Redemption was great, so I'm always, I've been really, really excited about Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, so for final questions, kind of things to be asked, all of our guests at the very, very end um, – So on our podcast, uh, as you know, we talk about different aspects of pop culture and fandom, and kind of ask why they matter. So I'll ask you a couple loaded questions and take all the time you need. Um, What is your favorite fandom? What 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 are you most jazzed up about? Uh, For example, I love Star Wars and Dragon Ball Z and uh, the Rocky series. So what are yours?
1: Fandom. Um, Now I'm just looking around my apartment. i was like, what's my favorite fandom? And I think, you know, like, I'm still kind of new to it. So I feel weird claiming this because I've only been to comics for uh, maybe like three or four years, but I really love Avengers. I think Avengers might be my favorite fandom. Like, Cause yeah, no, so claim players, it, claim like, it, do yeah, it. Multiverse, right? Where anything, I was trying to say like the other day, that anything that you can possibly conceive of does kind of exist in the multiverse. And like, there's just all these endless opportunities uh, in the marvel universe that is just like so mind-boggling and awesome is like there's always gonna be something for any kind of fan right so i just started reading spider when it's a totally new take on spider-man that i've never really been exposed to uh and i'm i'm just in love with it right
0: yeah that's awesome you're you're never never uh it's never too late to start claiming uh, different aspects uh, of comics
1: that's another thing like people ask me like is it too late to get into game development? i'm like is it too late for me to get into marvel comics because i didn't start reading those till i was like. Twenty one, and like all, you, you meet people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I've been reading Marvel Comics since I was a kid." And I was like, "I haven't, but I also love it, right?" It's just yeah, it's just yeah, weird feeling to be in where I feel sort of like, like I'm not a true nerd. Like I make video games for a living, and I'm not quite a true nerd. Oh, you true.
0: are, you're a true nerd, Justin. We have uh, we have two rules of fandom that we 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 put on shirts and buttons, and one is love things, and the other is don't be a dick. So <laughs> as long as you love it, that's all that matters to us. And then finally, you know, why why does pop culture matter to you? Why, do, why does making video games and things like that matter to you in the wider scope of just us as human beings?
1: It's funny because I give a different answer for this because that's something actually that comes up a lot when you talk about games with game academics or with game developers. Uh, and it sort of feeds into the whole change in the world thing I talked about earlier about how uh, games do feel like they're big and that they are important like even back in like the 70s and, and 80s right when you had like pac-man and like et and stuff like it still felt really important to to a group of people and what i always come back to when i think about games is the idea that it's an interactive media right so like i grew up in in los angeles i grew up surrounded by like the film industry my mom is is involved with that as well so like i'm deeply familiar with that and sort of coming out of the film industry perspective, it always felt not not preachy, but but definitely elitist as as a medium, rather. Uh, or any medium where you make a thing that people are they either going to enjoy or they're not. Um, and then you're you're judging it based on the merits of that thing. Right. Now, sorry, this is like a heady, uh, sort of abstract thing to think about, but No, no, go for it, do it. Yeah, as a but games are different in that they're wholly interactive, right? And so as a tangent, I'm thinking like, comics could also be seen as, like, interactive because people like, make their own comics. Like, you write fan fiction, so that makes books interactive. But games are built around this idea that it's made sort of in the moment collaboratively, right, with the player. Is that the second that a game isn't played anymore, that game ceases to exist. So as a game developer, and this is something that has stayed true since I was a gamer to a game academic to, to now as much as things change, I still see it as sort of a relationship between the developers and the players. And each individual player is going to hang on to different things in a game that they really love and they're going to really emphasize. Like for me in Spider-Man, it's photo mode, right? I spend about two thirds of my time playing Spider-Man in photo mode, uh, which is ridiculous and not the way that a lot of other people might play Spider-Man. But the fact that I can enjoy a game the way that I want to uh, really speaks to, to the power of games in that it's a whole unique medium. Each time that you play a game and between each different player, could going to be a totally different experience that you can't predict. And it's just this wild creative thing, not just for me as a developer, but as fans and players uh, from the second that the game releases till the last time that game's ever played each and every single time it's going to be different. And each and every single time, people are going to find something new that they love, maybe something new that they hate about it, right? But each time it's it's like this fleeting moment that is completely, totally different from everything else. As opposed to like you watch a movie 10 times over and you might interpret differently or you might have a different approach or a different analysis, but the movie's always gonna be the exact same thing. The book's always gonna be the exact same thing, but the video game every single time is gonna be something totally unique to that time that you as a person played it. And that is incredible. Uh
0: and then we're done. Uh we're, we're out. Justin just broke the internet. He broke my brain. Um his point of once you stop playing the video game, that video game ceases to exist. Is some deep stuff, Justin. And I think that really says uh summarizes what you just said. Very, very great. And thank you for that. Um Fantastic way to, to end this interview and to end our time today. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, Justin. I really, really do appreciate it. Tell the listeners where they can find you, if you're on any social media, or if you have any events coming up with like Guildhall, or is Gearbox going to be anywhere that people can come see them? Anything like uh,
1: that? I know you can always find Guildhall at their website, at SMU Guildhall. Um, I'm not really involved on, on public-facing social media, uh, I have my Facebook account. If you have people that want to add me on Facebook, I'll have people on Facebook. that's fine. Uh, <laughs> justin Lore, right um yeah, I mean uh, like that that's pretty much it. I guess I don't have all that many links to social media. I need to start getting on I need to, I need a Twitter account.
0: people need more Justin in their lives, and I'm just trying to bring them the justin uh that they need in their lives. appreciate it. So, as always, you can find the podcast at But Why Though PC on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even Pinterest now. We have a Pinterest now. Uh, You can find our main episodes, our partnered podcasts, and a plethora of great written pieces at ButWhyThoughPodcast.com. And, as always, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R. UIZ 93. Thank you again so much, Justin. And I think that's going to be it for us. Any final thoughts? Any final words? I Any say hi to you. mom? Anything? No,
1: thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Appreciate it.